morning. morning. Welcome to church. It's wonderful to see you guys. I say that in faith that you're there because I can't actually see you. But I hopefully I can hear you whenever we sing. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house this morning. We are so grateful that you came as a man because of our need and that everything that we ruined in your beautiful creation, you came to fix that problem. And you didn't have to, but you chose to. And we're so grateful. We just want to celebrate you this morning because of our thankfulness and because we want to just recognize that we needed you and we still need you. Amen. You can stand with us as we sing this morning. Now it is well. 
Jesus is waiting. God so loved the world. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read this from John chapter 11. Jesus is coming to see his friends. Lazarus, his good friend, has died. And the sisters are there, they're mourning, and when it says that when Martha saw him, she ran to him. And this is the conversation that they had on that day. And she said, Martha said, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. It's by faith that we receive. It's not because Martha was better or because she was worthy, but because she had faith and she declared in Jesus that faith that he had come into the world and she received him. That's all we have to do this morning. We're just here to receive. Amen.
invite you to close your eyes this morning and as we say every week to just remain in a posture of worship just don't rush past this moment of coming before God declaring who he is declaring who we are and in doing so declaring once again our need for God Lord, we, we sit here before you this morning, God, and we just open up ourselves to you. We just pause in the silence, and we just open up ourselves, our hearts to you once again, God. There's a verse that's been on my heart this morning, Isaiah Chapter 50, verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with the word. Morning by morning, he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. Oh God, we just pray that we would have hearts that are open to be taught this morning. God, I pray that we would have ears that are open to listening to you. Lord, I just pray that as we open up ourselves to learn and to grow this morning, that you would teach us to listen to you. Help us to hear your voice, God. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just still our minds, calm our hearts, God, just help us to have the attentiveness to hear what you want us to hear. Lord, I, I pray that we would take some of the words of these songs this morning, and I just pray that, that some of those words would become our prayer Lord, I pray that in this room that there would be hearts that return to you again. Lord, I just pray that, that there would be hearts in this room that would just be awakened once again to your moving, sustaining power. God, I pray this morning that broken lives would be made new God, we this morning recognize how profoundly broken and flawed we are. And God, I pray that we wouldn't just sit in that brokenness, but that we would just open ourselves up to being made new once again. God, your grace is enough to sustain us. It's enough to make us new each and every day, making us and helping us to look more like you 
So God, would you do that again? God, this morning, the words that I'm thinking of again are, Lord, you are our strength when we are weak. When we are helpless, God, you are faithful and true to be our stronghold, to point us back in the direction that we ought to be going, and you give us the strength to take each and every step. God, this morning, we pause and we praise you for your goodness. God, may these May these not be words that we just simply say or sing, but, but God, may we truly mean that and declare that in our hearts this morning, that we praise you, that you are good, that when good cannot be found anywhere here, that when good cannot be found anywhere in me, God, I recognize once again, you are the goodness that lives in and works through each and every one of us. And it continues to work in and through the broken places in our lives. God, this morning on this final Sunday in the season of Lent, we very aware of our humanity, very aware of our brokenness, of our flaws, of our failures. God, we declare this morning that you are everything we are not. And we recognize our need for you once again. God, let us not be so prideful that we would miss that need for you. Lord, as we open up your word, God, would you help us to be open to your word? God, would you help us to respond to your word as we, seek to, as we seek for you to do a new thing in us today? God, would you continue to grow us into the people you have called us to be? We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the ways in which you are already doing these things. God, we thank you for hearing the cries of our heart this morning. And before we close, I just want to give you guys, give you all the opportunity right now, just between you and God, share with him one final time that cry that is on your heart. What's the cry that's on your heart today? Lord, we give you these things, trusting, trusting God that you will meet us in our weakness and that you will respond to these cries beginning right here in this moment and in the days ahead. God, help us to know that you are with us. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand with me this morning as we open up the word and read from Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 1 and reading through verse 11. 
Here is the Palm Sunday word of the Lord this morning. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, if you've been in church for any length of time, um, I trust that you are familiar with this passage that we just read, and not just familiar with this passage, but familiar with what this day is and what this day brings, and that is Palm Sunday. This is is Palm Sunday, the final Sunday in the season of Lent. Uh, We look forward to stepping into Holy Week as we look forward to celebrating Easter, our risen Lord, once again next Sunday. But, But this is a familiar moment, isn't it? This is a familiar passage, and I will confess to you that pastors, I'm, I'm just kind of guessing here, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm assuming that other pastors feel this. Dwight, you could you know, possibly feel this, that this is a challenging text because it's one that we are so familiar with. It's one that we've heard preached year after year or in, in some variation or another year after year, and it can just feel challenging to draw anything new from this text or, or to look at it from a new and creative angle. And so I will confess that. So, so I just want to challenge you to open your heart up to the Lord and trust that even if you don't hear anything new from me today, which I don't have high hopes that you will, but my hope is, and I trust that the Lord will still speak a new word to your heart and that the Lord will still move in your heart through this familiar passage in a new and powerful way. As I prayerfully approach this passage this week, I kind of read it and played it over and over in my mind again, and really the best thing I could do in order to form a sermon is to ask what stands out. As I come back to this passage again and again, what's the one thing that stands out to me this year? Maybe something I didn't notice last year or the year before. What's one thing that that I keep coming back to? And that is this question that that we read at the end of the passage, this question of who is this? 
who is this? The genuine question that a lot of people who were there that day asked. And I also approached that question with the understanding that there were a lot of folks who were there that day. We're talking um, possibly, definitely thousands, but possibly hundreds of thousands of people who were there that day. And we have to imagine that there were many present in that crowd that day who already had their mind made up about who this was. So there was this genuine question, who is this? Who's, who is this that's causing all of this ruckus, this celebration? Maybe there was a little bit of anxiety, like, wow, something huge is happening. I don't want to miss it. What is happening? Who is this? And then there were those who, you know, did this. They, they already had their mind made up as to who this was. You see, one of the tragic ironies of Palm Sunday is that so many and this is not new information, but we say it again. So many people truly missed the Messiah, the Savior who was in their midst. He was there. He couldn't have been more real and more there, more present in this moment. And one of the tragic ironies that we can't help but notice and acknowledge year after year is that so many missed him. And, and we, we sit in this tension of, of crowds of people, hundreds and thousands of people who are gathered and who are shouting out these praises or at least open and curious as to what is going on. And then we balance that with this tension of who's at the cross, right? The few people in contrast, the few people who were at the cross compared to the hundreds and thousands who were there on Palm Sunday. And, and just before you get maybe a little bit offended or stirred, I'm not here to criticize those people. And I'm not even really here to ask the question, you know, how could they have, right? I'm not here to, to criticize them or analyze them or judge them. Because what I found this week as I was unpacking this and I was, I, as I was thinking about all of those who were present, or at least the types of people who were present, I realized, whoa, it's not actually all that difficult to miss a Savior in your midst. And here's what I mean. As I think about this question, and as I think about the folks who, who may have asked this question, who is this, I started thinking about some of the groups that were present that day. I started thinking about some of the groups of people who were there and who were either asking the question, who is this, or who actually recognized who this is, but, but chose not to acknowledge or accept who he was. And so one of the groups, one of the religious groups that were there, that were present that day, it's a group that you might not know too much about because you won't find anything in scripture about them, but there was this the religious group called the Essenes. And this was a group of people who, who weren't looking for the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. This was a group of people who, when they had this question of, of who is the Messiah and where is the Messiah, I can promise you that they had their minds made up that as they saw Jesus or even heard about Jesus, I'm not really sure how many of them would have been there, but as they saw this Jesus coming into town riding on a donkey, I promise you they probably would have quickly decided, no, this isn't the Messiah, because this group of people, the Essenes, they were looking for a very particular kind of Messiah, and Jesus didn't fit this kind of Messiah. You see, the Essenes were looking for what we might call an apocalyptic Messiah. The Essenes were this group of people who, who believed this notion that you might be familiar with, that the world is just going to hell in a handbasket. I think if I were to sum up a group 
this group, that would be the phrase that I would attach to them. That, that they truly believe that the world is hopeless, it's truly just wasting away, and the only way that God could possibly make it better or make things right is for him to bring an apocalypse, for God to divinely intervene in such a way that it wipes everything out and he just has to start all over. There is nothing good here that he can work with, and the only way to bring about the kingdom of God is through an apocalypse. It's the only way to make things right. That's perhaps what this group, the Essenes, might have thought as they heard about this Jesus that came into town. You see, the Essenes, almost I would say similarly to the Pharisees, they were what we might call chronic pessimists. They, they would look at the world and, and actually, in effort to, to make things better, they actually secluded themselves from the world. They are what we call isolationists, and they, they separated themselves from the rest of the world, and they moved out into the desert because they were convinced that there was no good to be found anywhere in the world. There was no hope to be found anywhere in the world. The world has gone mad. The world has gone crazy. You just got to wipe it out and start over. And so they separated they isolated, and they waited for this new world that this apocalyptic Messiah might bring. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that Jesus guy, I hear that he actually eats with sinners. So, you know, clearly he's not the one we're looking for. Then another group that would have been present that day is a group that, this one you'll be a little bit more familiar with, familiar with this group called the Zealots. The zealots had to have been present that day. In fact, there was a zealot who ran particularly close with Jesus, who walked closely with Jesus. We know him as Simon the Zealot. And I would imagine that this moment was a moment of wrestling for Simon the Zealot because as he is kind of watching Jesus come in on a donkey, on a baby donkey, and he's like, oh my gosh, this goes against everything I really think that is gonna happen to make things better. And he represents a larger group of people that looked at this kind of Messiah and thought, are you kidding? This is not the Messiah because you see the zealots had a very particular kind of Messiah in mind. They were looking for, you guessed it, the military Messiah. And if this guy were really the Messiah, then this would be an insurrection. Uh, this would be, everything would be flipped on its head and he would be bringing in the kingdom of God by force because that's what needs to happen. Right? If this guy were the Messiah, then he would be completely wiping out the current power. He would be taking out the current power because if the kingdom of God is to come, it's going to have to be taken by force. That's what the zealots believed. And I have to imagine that Jesus probably lost the zealots way back on the Sermon on the Mount. Right? I have to imagine that Jesus lost them a long time ago when he started saying things like, love your enemies. And he didn't laugh afterwards like it's not a joke. No, actually, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those and wish good for those who want to do harm to you. And ooh, ooh, ooh even find unique ways that you can humbly serve your enemies and actively love your enemies. I think they were like, we're out. This guy is not legit. He is not the one we're waiting for. And if that didn't do it, then the moment Jesus came in riding on a baby donkey who can't even be away from its mother, that probably for sure did it for them. 
There was another group there present that day, I would imagine. These you're also probably familiar with. We call them the Sadducees. And I'm not totally sure, I don't know, I'm not totally sure that they were expecting a Messiah at all because they didn't believe in the resurrection, in the resurrection of the dead. They, they didn't believe in angels, and, and really they only took seriously the first five books of the Old Testament. We call that the Pentateuch, and that's really the only, those are the only books they oriented themselves around. And so I'm actually unclear as to whether or not they were looking for a Messiah at all, but I can assure you that if they were, this was not the guy. Because you see, the Sadducees, they were this elite, upper-class group who wanted nothing more than to just keep things the way they were, because it worked really well for them. This was the the upper class, the, the religious elite who wanted to protect the status quo. They were only concerned with protecting a system that kept them at the top. They didn't want to rock the boat with the Roman government because that might make things uncomfortable. That might stir the pot and, and make life uncomfortable for us. And I would imagine that they greatly opposed Jesus because Jesus totally threatened these very things, right? With his teachings, with the way he lived, the way that he preached. Uh, he came to liberate the poor and he came and rebuked the wealthy for, for hoarding their wealth and not sharing it with those who had nothing, Jesus was a threat to the Sadducees' lavish ways of living. And Jesus for sure rocked the boat with the Roman government. Even if it was just a little bit, it was happening. And so I can assure you that the Sadducees, they may have been there that day, but they were not accepting this Messiah. And then that brings us to the most well-known of the religious groups, the religious sect that we know as the Pharisees. And this one is perhaps the hardest. We know that Jesus really didn't fit who they were looking for. Jesus, quite frankly, just ticked them off day after day after day and just did things that completely offended them and blew their mind. And so we're pretty confident that Jesus is not who they were expecting. And yet I can't help but think that this is the most tragic case of irony there was on Palm Sunday. Because the Pharisees wanted the Messiah to come. And I'm not sure what kind of Messiah they were looking for, but we know enough about them to know that, that they believed that the Messiah would come if and only when everybody could just get their act together and do uh, follow the law down to every last detail for one day, and then the Messiah would come. Did you know that the Pharisees believed that? Does that connect any dots for you or, or help make sense a little bit as to why they were so legalistic and harsh? Because they held seriously to Ezra and Nehemiah. You know Ezra and Nehemiah, right? The post-exilic prophets who, who reminded God's people, listen, the way you were doing things wasn't working for you, right? You were punished. Your sin was so great, and God had to, to deal with your sin, and you brought this awful destruction on yourselves. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, they taught that you have to obey God's law. It's there for a purpose. It's for his holy purpose. You have to pay attention and obey it. And the Pharisees took that very seriously. And as you know, they piled on all these extra rules and they thought, well, if we, if we throw out these boundaries and these guidelines, then maybe people can really get it together and follow this law perfectly for one day. And then maybe, just maybe, the Messiah will come. 
Come on, guys, just get it together for one day. Can't you do that? No. (laughs) And so, naturally, they took what Ezra and Nehemiah had. These were well-intentioned cries. I mean, we're not chastising Ezra and Nehemiah. They just wanted to see God's people obey and follow God. That's all. And the Pharisees, they took what was wise and good teaching and they just took it to the extreme. And here's why this is so tragic. Do you see the tragic irony here? That in becoming so busy with trying to keep the law so perfectly so that the Messiah would come, that here he is in their midst, in the flesh, and they completely missed him. Does that not weigh heavily? Like that almost makes me ill just to think about. And I think they were genuine. Again, not chastising or criticizing. The Pharisees, we throw them under the bus a lot. It's easy. They're an easy target, right? It's really easy to to criticize them and to judge them and to throw them under the bus. But the reason this is so sad to me is because I think they, they truly believed this. I don't think they were trying to be evil and, and harsh and awful. I think they were genuinely, they just wanted the Messiah to come. And that makes it so tragic that here he was, God in the flesh, and they missed him. They became so busy and obsessed with other things that they missed the Messiah who was before them. They became so busy and obsessed with learning about God and wanting to be like God that they missed God in the flesh. They became so busy and so obsessed with trying to perfect every little detail about God and every little thing that might please God and appease God that they forgot to know God when they would see him. They became so busy and obsessed with building the institution that there was no room to build people. And here was Jesus doing all of these things, and they completely missed him. Some of that might feel relatable for some of us. I don't know about you, but I easily see the church fitting into a lot of those categories. And I'm, I'm talking about all of us collectively, not singling anybody out. I think the church can easily fall into some of these categories when we are looking for the Messiah, so to speak. But maybe some of you don't really relate to the religious groups of the day and these kind of harsh or strict expectations they had of the Messiah. So let's step away from that for just a moment. And let's also acknowledge that among the crowds that day were those who were totally closed off and totally skeptical because a Messiah was simply unrealistic. And there were those in the first century who were not waiting for a Messiah. They just weren't. They, they rejected this notion of a Messiah. There was no hope for a messianic figure who would free Jews from the Romans. There was no hope of, of an apocalypse so that God could just start all over. There was certainly no hope in this guy who was a nobody, spent time with nobodies. These were those people who weren't actually let down that day because they had no expectations. You couldn't disappoint them because they were skeptical of any Messiah. These were those who might look at you funny as you're like, oh, look, it's Jesus. 
It's Jesus, the prophet, the prophet from Nazareth. He's the Messiah. And they would look at you really funny and think, really? You think that the world can be anything other than what it is? This is just the way things are, and nothing's going to change that. And then I would imagine, as I'm thinking about the crowd that day, I'm imagining that the majority of this crowd were people who maybe were a lot like the majority of us here today. These were just the normal, average Joe, everyday, ordinary kind of people. They were not anyone important. They, were, they maybe felt a little bit like nobodies, and these were those who actually enjoyed listening to Jesus. They were interested in what he had to say, and, and maybe these are the ones who, who would follow Jesus and who would find out where he was, you know, when he was trying to seclude himself and, like, have a break and get some rest. These were those who were like, no, we got to find him because we are just hanging on to every word. He says something about him is just so interesting and, and compelling that we have to, to be in his presence. I would imagine that that many of those who were crying Hosanna in the crowd were just your average, ordinary, everyday Jewish people who clung to scriptures like Zechariah 9, which Matthew quotes in the passage we just read. I would imagine that the majority of those there that day were the, the faithful Jews who would cling to psalms that were sung during the Passover as they waited for the Messiah to come. I would imagine that a lot of those who were standing in the crowd that day, maybe this was a moment where they thought to their past, but they're in the middle of Passover, right? They're, they're thinking already about the ways that God heard the cries of his people, how God reached out and God saved and God delivered his people, and that's fresh in their minds as they're singing these psalms of praise for the God who, who delivered the Israelites from, from slavery in Egypt. And now I would imagine that there's God's connecting. And they're like, oh my goodness, it's God again. He's heard us again. He's heard our cries. He's heard Hosanna, which means save us. Oh God, save us. He's heard our cries. He's listened to us. He's responding to us and he's saving us. The Messiah's here. He's going to save us. I have to imagine that these are the majority of those who were there that day, the faithful Jews who were just waiting for this Messiah that they had heard about and sung about all these years. And that's where this breakdown happens, where I have to just truly look at this and ask, what happened? What happened? Where did they all go? At what point did Jesus lose them? You know what I mean? At what point did they decide, wait a minute, oh, no, it's not. Right? Like, where did the disconnect happen? Because as I'm thinking about these people, these faithful Jewish people who are just waiting for God again to save them, as I think about what Jesus had already begun doing like three years ago, I just, I have to wonder, did you miss it or did you quickly forget that Jesus had already begun saving you? That Jesus had already begun doing all these things that you were waiting for God to do. Jesus was already freeing you. Did you miss it or did you just forget so quickly? Because we do that, right? We forget. We are, that's why they built in this season of Passover. It was something they celebrated every year because God's people forget. We, it's so easy for us to forget what God has done in the past. 
And so I wonder, did they miss it or did they just forget? Because Jesus had already begun freeing. He had already begun miracles of healing that restored sight and mobility and health. He raised the dead to life. Did you miss it or did you just forget? Right? Jesus performed these miracles that met the basic needs of those who were standing in the crowd, those who were thirsty, those who were hungry. Jesus performed miracles that met these needs. He had begun saving them and delivering them and redeeming them. Jesus started freeing people from bondage. Jesus started freeing people from the destructive systems that were set up during this time. Jesus started calling people to live according to a different economy. He told tax collectors, stop cheating and hoarding. Stop it so that you can pay attention to those around you who have nothing and give them a fair chance. Give them a fair chance to to make it. Jesus told the wealthy to live generously. Jesus had already begun changing things. Jesus had already begun freeing people from prejudiced systems by recasting people that were hated like the Samaritans and saying, no, look, God loves these people and these people are good because they are God's. God sees them and he loves them and he calls you to love them. Jesus prioritized women and invited them to the table. He socialized with outcasts and sinners. Jesus had already begun saving. So what happened? Where did all of these people go? I'm I'm genuinely asking, not criticizing, not judging. I'm genuinely asking because if it happened to them, how easy would it be for it to happen to us? Because what I'm, what I'm starting to find as, as we put all these pieces together is that it seems that almost no one was prepared for this kind of Messiah. Only other than a handful of people who, who walked with Jesus to the cross and journeyed with Jesus to the cross, no one was prepared, fully prepared for this kind of Messiah, the kind of Messiah who on Palm Sunday, in my mind, I imagine him zeroing in on the cross. Zeroing in on the cross and coming face to face with just how much he loves all of these people. No one was fully prepared for that kind of Messiah. No one was fully prepared, it seems, other than a handful of people. No one was prepared that this journey that began with with a parade and shouting and praises would be making a stop at the cross before reaching the throne. I, I don't think people were truly and really prepared for that. And I have to say again, it's not about condemning or criticizing those who weren't there on Friday when they were somewhere. But church, it's about, yes, recognizing your need for a savior, but also it's about not missing the ways in which he wants to save you. Not by an apocalypse and wiping everything out, but moving in. Moving in and getting in the messy and the muck of our hearts and our lives. This is the way that he wants to save, not by giving you a list of legalistic rules to follow in hopes that you will appease him to get his attention so that he'll notice you and think kindly of you. But instead, it's, it's looking at God and recognizing that your love for God equals a love for everyone else. This is how he saves, not by 
taking the world by force, but in laying down his life, which would be the ultimate demonstration of love that wins in the end. Friends, this Messiah, this Savior, the one that we just read about, this Savior saves by defeating death itself by giving us victory over the grips of sin and not just saving us once or freeing us once from one oppressive thing or person, but instead he wants to save us in every way. He wants to save every part of us, making us new spiritually. He wants to save us emotionally and mentally and physically. This is how this Savior wants to save. And this is the kind of Savior that the world needed then. And this is the kind of Savior that the world needs right now. The problem is that we miss it. We miss him because we're looking for something completely different. Friends, the cries of Hosanna were the cries of people who had been waiting on a savior. And that savior had come. He was there. And so many missed him. And I fear that if we aren't careful, we can easily miss, miss him in our midst too. I, I, I kind of dubbed this as the classic Palm Sunday dilemma, right? It's worth mentioning again and again and again because this can happen to us. And so this morning I want to ask you, what kind of savior are you looking for? What kind of savior are you looking for? Is it the one who is going to overthrow and take by force? Because listen, if that's the Savior you're looking for, then you're going to miss the implications and the power of a sacrificial love that lays down one's life. Are you looking for a Savior who just does away with it all? Because if you are, listen, you're going to miss the one who has already begun and is still continuing to make all things new. Are you looking for the kind of Savior that you are, are performing for? You're just mindly, mindlessly trying to modify your behavior so that you can please the Savior, so that he will delight in you. Listen, if that's you this morning, you are at risk of missing the ways that Jesus wants to renew every part of you wholly and completely, not just by modifying your behaviors, but by moving in and being the Lord of your whole heart and life. Maybe there's some of you this morning who, quite frankly, aren't looking for a savior. That's fair. Some of you might be in our midst this morning. You're not looking for a savior because you're convinced that what you're looking for can't be found in this Jesus. And, and if that's you, listen, you're at risk of missing something profound. You're going to continue to look for love, redemption, purpose, wholeness, meaning. You're going to look for that in all the wrong places, and you're going to come to the end of yourself disappointed and empty because it's going to fail you every single time. I don't know what you're looking for this morning. I don't know what kind of savior you're looking for this morning, but I do want you to, to notice this. Look around. 
not necessarily in this room, but, but look around, take a look at the world. The world is crying out for a savior. Whether they know it or not, this world right now, right now, this world recognizes a deep longing for a savior. The world is crying out from the deepest, most broken places, desperate for a savior. And if we stop and listen and just sit still for five seconds, we can can feel the consequences and the brokenness in so many places. And deep down, we feel the need for a savior. So as the praise team comes back and prepares us for a time of reflection and response, I just want to remind you that while this is the final Sunday in the season of Lent, this is still the season of Lent, and I don't want you to rush past it. Because I think one of the tricky parts of Palm Sunday is that it is a day of celebrating. We kind of come into Palm Sunday with a little bit of anticipation, right? Like, oh, Easter's coming. Easter's coming. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be this big, amazing celebration. And Palm Sunday just kind of feels like the prelude. It's, it's like the moment leading up. And so we celebrate and we sing and our, we praise Hosanna. But I also don't want you to rush past this moment, where we come to grips once again with our frailty and our brokenness, recognizing that we do indeed need a Savior, and then not missing the ways that he wants to save us. And so as you prepare your hearts this morning, maybe maybe just close your eyes this morning and just drown out distractions and and just zone in for a moment. To miss who Jesus is and what kind of savior he is, is to miss the greatest gift that God has ever given to the world. And that is the gift of himself, where he held nothing back. He didn't hold any part of himself back, but he laid down everything, all of himself, his whole life, coming to grips with the reality of death for three days so that you and I might find life only in and through him. If you miss that right now, you're gonna miss so much that God wants to to say to you and do in your life. And so God, we recognize this morning, God, we recognize in, in Lenten fashion, just the reality of our humanity and our brokenness and our very real need for a savior. I don't know where each person is at in this journey, and I don't really know what kind of savior everyone here is looking for today, God, but I know that you do. 
And I know that you continue to move in unexpected ways. And so God, my prayer is that we would not limit you and that we wouldn't limit the ways that you want to save. That we wouldn't hold anything back. That right here in this moment, we would give you every last part of ourselves. Trusting, believing, and having faith that you will save every last part of ourselves, of our lives. God, as we sit in this tension of, of palm and passion, God, we are just reminded once, of, once again, as we step into Holy Week, as the cross becomes increasingly clear to us, and as it comes to the front of our minds, we recognize just how profound that must have been for you. Knowing that we'll never fully know, but being absolutely and radically wrecked and humbled by your amazing love that just doesn't quit. So God, would you just continue to defy all of our expectations? God, as we open ourselves up to you, would you give yourself completely to us? Once again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can stand if you'd like. Whatever you do, just take a posture of worship. This morning as we celebrate, he may not have been the Savior that we want, but he is absolutely the Savior that we need.
be seated. I just want to challenge you that as this service comes to a close, another Sunday, another time of worship, I just want to challenge you to not rush past this particular moment. I would challenge you that you never rush past this particular moment because this moment is holy and sacred. And only because God shows up every time. You might miss him, but I have to say that if you miss him, it's because you weren't looking. Maybe you thought you were, but maybe you weren't. And so don't rush past this moment, particularly this week, because this week is, is profound. And as we step into Holy Week, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's just spending intentional time this week, even more than you have throughout the rest of Lent, just to be with God however that looks like, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe that's coming to the Good Friday service on Friday and just letting yourself be completely open once again to the implications of the cross. But I just challenge you to step into Holy Week aware of the Savior that's already begun working in your lives and is not even close to stopping. So, With that, Lord, God, we just thank you once again for the ways that you make yourself known to us. And God, we pause intentionally right now and we just pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to us this week. And we pray that we would have the eyes to see you and that we wouldn't miss the ways that you are at work in our lives. God, each day help us to see you and to respond to you. And God, I trust that you will do profound things in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Watch him do it. Well, I just want to share a few quick announcements with you. Oh, goodness. What did I just do? They just left. Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. Okay. Um, Just a few quick announcements. So one, our student ministry will be meeting again tonight at 5.30 p.m. downstairs. Uh, We will not be meeting next week for Easter, but those of you, those preteens, parents of preteens and parents of, so preteens is fourth through sixth grade, and then the the student kind of upper teen ministry is seventh through twelfth grade, and, and we'll all be meeting downstairs tonight at 5.30. I do want to remind you again of our Good Friday service that will be this coming Friday here at the church at 7 p.m. We do want to invite you to that. It's a, it's a somber service, but uh, I, I do trust the ways that, that it will minister to your heart and, and really move um, your heart on Friday. Um, and then on Easter Sunday next week, so just a few reminders about next week, we will be um, receiving the offering for World Evangelism Fund that we take every Easter. We collect that every Easter. Our goal this year to, to close that gap is $3,000, so we are just wanting to remind you of that. Um, next week, we will also have, I guess, depending on the weather, I don't know what that looks like, but we'll, we'll come up with a plan B if necessary, I'm sure. But next week, we will plan to have an egg hunt for, for any kids that are here after the service, just a few moments of fun for them. Uh, so don't forget about that. And we will be enjoying a, a meal together next week. It's going to not be necessarily a sit-down formal meal, but, but come anytime between 9 and 10 and just hopefully come and fellowship with, with one another as you grab some quick breakfast items that are going to be prepared for you. And I'm sure they're going to 
are going to be amazing and we'll have coffee. And our hope is that it's just a great time of fellowship with one another as we celebrate and say to one another that he is risen and celebrate that next week. Um, Also, throughout the month of April, we're going to be collecting pajamas for the Restore Network. So just continue to bring those in throughout the month as you are able to. Um, We want to let you know that church board elections will be held two weeks from today. So that's going to be April 24th, and that's going to be immediately following um, this service. And I believe there's more details in your bulletins about that. Um, you do have to be a, a member of, the, of our church, of our community, to vote in that, and you have to be at least 15. Um, but we are required to give you a two-weeks notice on that, so just keep in mind that that'll be two weeks from today. And then finally this morning, um, we mentioned this last week, we would appreciate anyone who's able to stay after the service for just a few moments. Um, our carpet's in the sanctuary, and a few chairs are going to be clean this week, and so we just need some help moving the chairs. Um, and Mike Dissett, Back in the back, he's going to be our boss today. He's a stand-in for Karen, and I think he's up to the challenge. I think he can, can totally fill those shoes, so we'll see. <laughs> but Mike's going to be in charge. He's, he, they've, they have been carefully planning this every last detail all week, so it's going to run nice and smooth. We just need some help. Um, so, so we'll just turn that over to Mike in a few moments and let him tell us what to do with all the chairs, okay? So I invite you all to stand with me this morning. Take a deep breath, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. You are loved. You are seen by your Savior who is in your midst. And I pray that you would go in his grace and in his peace and that you would not miss the ways that he's at work in your life this week. Go in peace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.